He says, Zacharias, your prayer has been heard. Look at verse 17. He will go as a forerunner before him in the spirit and power of Elijah. And again, he quotes from Malachi to turn the hearts of the fathers back to the children and the disobedient to the attitude of the righteous so as to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Gabriel is telling Zacharias that he and Elizabeth are going to raise the prophet of God who is the answer to the prophecy of Malachi who will prepare the people for the Messiah. Some people today are skeptical of angels. Others are a bit too infatuated with them. Most of us consider angels to be mysterious. We don't know much about them, and we don't understand God's purpose for them. We're going to explore one of those purposes today. When God wanted to communicate with people, he would sometimes send an angel named Gabriel to deliver that message. One of those times was to a man named Zacharias. Today on Wisdom for the Heart, Stephen Davy looks at that encounter. We're going to focus our attention to the Christmas story with this series called The Gospel According to Gabriel. Now, here's Stephen. It is impossible to explore the birth of Christ without encountering one angelic visitation after another. An angel will announce the birth of John the baptizer. An angel will deliver the news to Mary of her conception. An angel will assure Joseph that Mary is conceived of the Holy Spirit. An angel will deliver the news of Christ's birth to shepherds. And angels will chant uh, their praise to God, and an angel will warn Joseph to flee to Egypt with his newborn son and wife. Angels are literally scurrying all around the scenes, these early scenes, carrying out the details of God's uh, redemptive plan so that all goes according to divine script. There are those who don't believe in the activity of angels or that they, for some reason, have ceased. Uh, I believe that they are engaged in ways that we perhaps would be amazed to see. I uh, pulled off a volume from my shelf entitled All the Angels of the Bible, and I thought it was interesting to read the preface, which I had not read before, by Herbert Lockyer. And, uh, the preface to his work gave an interesting personal account that he recorded. He was in Kenya, Africa, preaching Uh, on a tour and on one occasion spoke at the missionary school outside of Nairobi. In the audience was a native tribesman who would end up accepting Christ as his personal savior there in the school's chapel that afternoon. After the service, he came up and talked to Dr. Lockyer and told him what led him to attend the service. Earlier, several months earlier, he and other tribesmen, young Uh, warriors had decided to invade the school compound with its mission station and school for missionary children. Uh, These uh, ruthless warriors had made a pact together to climb the hill up the school and capture and kill the children. As they made their way up the hill under the cover of darkness, suddenly 
He reported men dressed in white robes surrounded the school and in the hands of each man was a sword that seemed to be on fire. The staff all agreed as they heard the story. There was no other explanation. I personally had the opportunity, as many of you did some time ago, to hear the the accounts of missionary Steve Saint, who preached here, the son of the martyred missionary Nate Saint, who was killed along with Jim Elliott and other men who had gone to deliver the gospel to the Alka Indians. Steve told us that moments after killing the five missionaries who'd come to deliver the gospel, these native men saw hazy figures above the tree lines singing music that they had never heard before. Many months later, in fact, it was after Steve's aunt and Elizabeth Elliott returned I think even with one of their children to uh, deliver the gospel and try again, risking their own lives, that they, by the grace of God, were able to convert many of these tribesmen to Christ. And and, uh, it was was months later that uh, some of these uh, tribesmen uh, sat listening to one of the missionaries' uh, record player. Uh, That's a machine that plays music recorded on round plastic things. The natives said they recognized the music. They had heard it that day on the sandy beach coming from the figures hovering above the tree line. No doubt to Steve and the others, it was the singing of angels. There are many in our world who are skeptical of the existence and ministry of angels. Obviously, you can overdo it. You can look for an angel under every bush and you can give credit to them when all credit belongs to God. You can be either enamored with them or you can ignore them and you can even deny their existence. One Puritan theologian in the early 1600s by the name of John Owen wrote that to ignore the angels is the height of ingratitude. He penned these words in his commentary on the book of Hebrews. We, we should search after what may be known of them. God hath neither appointed nor revealed them for nothing. He expects a revenue of praise and glory for it. And how can we bless him for it when we know nothing of angels? Let us bless God, I say, for the ministry of angels. You know, as I reread these gospel texts describing what we call the Christmas account, it occurred to me that to deny the existence of angels would be to deny the central declaration of the gospel of Christmas. God uses them to play a significant role. I read recently one well-respected author who made the statement that angels cannot preach the gospel, only Christians can. And I would have to disagree. In fact, the very first appearance in the New Testament of the Greek word translated the gospel or the good news comes from the lips of an angel. It will be an angel who delivers the gospel to shepherds in the fields of Bethlehem as he declares, don't be afraid for I am bringing you, what? Good news, literally evangelion, the gospel. I'm delivering to you the gospel. It is of great joy, which shall be for all the people. For today in the city of David is born for you a savior who is Christ the Lord. Of course, he is joined then by the innumerable hosts of heaven. One particular angel stands out above all the rest. One particular agent of God who plays a unique role in the incarnation accounts of 
Christ's birth and all those events surrounding it. He will be the angel who will appear delivering startling news. So what I want to do with you today and next Lord's Day is just dig back into these texts and pull out the rich truths delivered to mankind through this particular leading angel who is part of the fabric of the gospel of Christmas. His name is Gabriel. Would you turn to the Christmas account by Luke in chapter 1? Gabriel's first appearance inside the magnificent temple of Herod. Look at verse 5. In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zacharias of the division of Abijah. And he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, that is a descendant of Aaron. And her name was Elizabeth. She was named after the wife of Aaron, and so she and her husband, Zacharias, descended from that great family, dedicated to the service of God. So Gabriel, there's your first mark. Uh, This is your first assignment, God would say. That old priest down there uh, will be the very first to hear the news the gospel that the Messiah is on his way. Now, before we go any further, let's set the stage for this rather dramatic encounter. The verse that we just read uh, together told us a lot about this scene. This is in the days of, of Herod, which lets us know that this particular priest is serving during the days of a paranoid, wicked killer. But Herod was loved Uh, by the Roman emperor, and the Roman senate was instructed by the emperor to give him a title he had long wanted to have. And so they gave him the title King of the Jews. So you can imagine a little bit more how upset Herod would be when the Magi will arrive later and ask him, where is he born King of the Jews? He killed for less than that. That was his title which is why he will later order the murder of every little boy under the age of two living in the vicinity of Bethlehem to try to get rid of this rival to his throne. These are not easy days to be a priest serving God. Notice how Luke describes then this faithful priest who is serving in that glorious temple. And his wife, along with him, is described in verse 6. They were both righteous in the sight of God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and requirements of the Lord. But but they had no child. Elizabeth was barren, and they were both now advanced in years. Now that alone was startling news. To the Orthodox Jew living in the first century, barrenness was considered the rebuke of God. In fact, the rabbis taught during these days that we're reading of today that there were seven types of people who could not expect a close walk with God. At the top of the list was a Jewish man who had no wife. So to be a single man, you simply ruled out the possibility of God ever being pleased with you. And secondly, was a Jewish couple without children. In fact, during the days of Christ, barrenness was considered valid grounds for divorce. So to live as a faithful couple, serving God no less in this era under the covenant of promise regarding children, the inability to have them would have written a volume of pain and despair, of tears and and questions. 
In fact, Elizabeth will describe her barrenness as disgrace. I can't help but wonder as I reread this text, would I have served God as they did? Would you? Why do we serve him? Because he is good to us, so that he will be good to us. Or like these two dear people, in spite of the fact that he didn't seem to be good to them. To live as a faithful couple serving God speaks highly of this one who will be the first to hear the gospel. Now, that's just the setting of the scene. Something really startling is about to happen. Notice verse 8. And it happened that while he was performing his priestly service before God in the appointed order of his division, according to the custom of the priestly office, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. Okay, slow down. Let's stop a minute here. To uh, onlookers, this was, you know, just a chance roll of the dice which uh, selected Zacharias out of all the priests to perform this rather sacred and special duty. You need to understand that during the days of Zacharias, there was an estimated 20,000 priests. Only at Passover and the Feast of Tabernacles did they all come to serve in Jerusalem at the same time. For the rest of the year, they served in divisions. There were 24 divisions of anywhere from 800 to 1,000 in each a division serving two weeks out of the year. The rest of the year, they went back to their farming and, and managing whatever businesses they had. Zacharias was probably a simple country farmer. He happened on this week, he just so happened, to be serving in the division of Abijah. There's more. Out of this division, those 1,000 priests would be given their duties by the casting of lots. Every morning and evening there would be a, a sacrifice made in the temple for the whole nation. An unblemished lamb, one year old, along with flour and oil and a drink offering of wine. Now before the morning and evening sacrifice was placed on the altar, one priest, decided by lot, would be given the special privilege either in the morning or in the evening to go into the holy place of the temple, just outside the Holy of Holies. And he had a special job that he was able to do in that sacred place. Of course, you had the table of showbread and you had the the golden candlestick and other articles. But there was that golden horned altar of incense with live coals that were tended throughout the day. It would be the high honor of this priest chosen by Lot to pour incense over those live coals so that just as the lamb outside was being placed on the altar, the sweet-smelling aroma would ascend with the offering as if it were a a sweet-smelling savor to God. Now, the fact remained that there were so many priests, many of them never, ever once had the privilege of offering incense in the holy place. In fact, according to historians, if you were chosen by lot to burn incense upon the altar, you could only do it one time, your entire lifetime. So here you have Zacharias reaching the apex of his life. This is the high moment of his ministry. He will enter the holy place 
And while he is inside, verse 10 tells us that all of the multitude is outside in the court praying. All the priests, all the people are jammed there praying while he is inside praying that God will accept with pleasure his offering. Now one more thing. It was also the privilege of this priest after offering the incense to finish his task and when he did to come out to the railing where he would deliver a very brief sermon. It would be his one chance. And he would bless the people in the name of their faithful and forgiving God. What a moment that would be. So here is Zacharias. Picture him with with trembling old hands, lifting the censer and standing there and letting the contents spill over the coals and listen as they crackle and sizzle. And then watch as the sweet-smelling aroma begins like fog rise. It's at that moment that he realizes he's not alone. Verse 11, And an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing to the right of the altar of incense. And Zacharias was troubled. That's an understatement. When he saw the angel, and fear gripped him. Now, later on in the text, the angel will identify himself as Gabriel. But I want you to to stop with me another moment or two here and, and be introduced to this uniquely chosen messenger of God. Zacharias has heard about Gabriel. Everybody's heard about Gabriel. He's a rather famous angel. They have read the prophecies of Daniel where Daniel describes, I believe, Gabriel in chapter 10. He will describe him with seven descriptions. First, when Gabriel appeared to Daniel, he was wearing a linen robe. Highly significant because a robe made of linen was the garment worn by the high priest when he entered the Holy of Holies. It was to be clean and perfectly ironed. Daniel also described Gabriel further as having his waist girded with a wide belt made of solid gold. Would have been a rather impressive sight. Daniel described the body of Gabriel like the stone barrel, the precious stone. Could be a reference to his body, which seemed hard and firm. Or the color, which would be a a blue color. Furthermore, Gabriel's face was described by Daniel as having the appearance of lightning. In other words, it was probably too bright. It shone to to be able to look at it for very long. So here's this being in a room with you whose body and face are brilliant shades of blue and white, whose robe is perfectly tailored, wearing a belt made of gold. Daniel goes on further and describes the eyes of Gabriel as if they glowed with fire. Daniel also mentioned the angel's arms and his feet shining as if they were polished bronze. And finally, Gabriel's voice is described like the voice of a multitude, which would be a long, rumbling, low, powerful, forceful voice. And the text says, Zacharias was filled with fear. That's the understatement of the Christmas story. I'm shocked he stayed standing or breathing. Here is the one, by the way, who appeared to Daniel 
during the evening sacrifice, I would probably be led to believe easily that it would be the evening sacrifice where Zacharias is also met by Gabriel. Daniel's response to Gabriel is that he is terrified. In fact, he falls down. Zacharias also is terrified. Daniel will also be rendered speechless. Zacharias will, although for a different reason. But more importantly, it is this. Gabriel has delivered a message to Daniel describing future messianic times. And Gabriel is now delivering a message to Zacharias about the dawning of messianic times. He is announcing, ladies and gentlemen, the the breaking of the dawn. The sun is going to rise. Notice his words in verse 13. He says, Don't be afraid, Zacharias, for your petition has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear a son, and you will give him the name John. Now, some would suggest that Zacharias was in there praying for a son. I don't believe he was because of his response to Gabriel once Gabriel tells him this. I believe his faithful prayer as a priest there inside the holy place would have been the prayer of redemption and the coming one who would save the people as all faithful priests would be praying. He says, Zacharias, your prayer has been heard. In fact, your son is going to have a special role to play in the coming Messiah. Look at verse 17. He will go as a forerunner before him in the spirit and power of Elijah. And again, he quotes from Malachi, to turn the hearts of the fathers back to the children and the disobedient to the attitude of the righteous so as to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Gabriel is telling Zacharias that he and Elizabeth are going to raise the prophet of God who is the answer to the prophecy of Malachi who will prepare the people for the Messiah. Notice verse 18, and Zacharias said to the angel, How will I know this for certain? In other words, can you give me some proof that God will do this? Imagine, here's Zacharias in the holy place, all alone, except an angel's in there with him, his face like lightning, his arms glowing like bronze. And he says, I need another sign from God. Can you give me some more proof that something unique is going to happen in my life? (laughs) He says, verse 18, I'm an old man. And my wife... Is beyond childbearing years. Just like Abraham and Sarah of old, who didn't believe that God could produce through them the forefather of the Messiah, Zacharias doesn't believe God will produce through them the forerunner of the Messiah. The angel in verse 19 answers and says to him, I am Gabriel. Love that response. There's a play on words lost to the English reader. Zacharias emphasizes, I am an old man. And the angel says, I am Gabriel. Hello, wake up. And I stand in the presence of God. In other words, I've just come from the presence of God to deliver to you the news. You should know, Zacharias. Nothing is impossible with God. Now notice this, verse 19. I love this text. I stand in the presence of God and I have been sent to speak to you and to bring you this euangelion, this gospel. 
I've come to give you the good news of God. Zacharias, you've been waiting, you and the people, all your lives for good news. 400 years of silence. The news is that the silence of God is over. You've longed for the fulfillment of Malachi's prophecy that the sun would rise and fathers would turn their hearts to their families and the people would repent and prepare their hearts for the coming. Not only is God going to do that, but he's chosen you and your wife to have a son who will grow up and with the spirit and power of Elijah prepare the people for the dawning of messianic revelation. Gabriel says, this is the good news. This is the gospel. You're the first to hear it. But since you don't believe my words, you'll not be able to speak your own words. Verse 20. Behold, you you shall be silent and unable to speak until the day when these things take place. That is the day when John is born. A little more than nine months from now. Verse 62, if you look over there, it implies that Zacharias could neither speak nor hear because other people are making signs to him. Where earlier in the chapter, verse 22, he is making signs to people. But can you imagine being the spokesman for God all your life as a priest and now you have the scoop on the most exciting news ever to hit Israel in the last 400 years and you can't tell anybody? I wondered, though, as I read this again, for those of us who can communicate, can you think of a time that you told someone the gospel? Have you told anybody this year the good news? Not just that Christ came, but that he's coming again. Well, Gabriel has accomplished his first mission. He leaves a a stunned priest who now gallops his donkey home as fast as he can and begins to play charades with his wife. Maybe he settles down long enough to write it out for her. When John is born, and we'll stop here, but when John is born later, the birth of his son, Zacharias, will say, and he will pull again from Malachi's prophecy, and he will say these words, The sunrise from on high is going to visit us. I'm delivering to you the news that the dawn is breaking. The gospel is being heard. Gabriel has another message to deliver. That will be to Mary, and we'll look at that next time. You're listening to Wisdom for the Heart with Stephen Davey. This was part one of a two-part series called The Gospel According to Gabriel. This lesson is called Declaring the Break of Dawn. Between now and our next lesson, we'd like to interact with you individually. One great way to communicate with us is to send a message through social media. That can be a great tool you can use to stay informed and interact with us. So, be sure and like our Facebook page so that you'll get updates. Our ministry is called Wisdom International, so look for the Wisdom International page. 
We hope to interact with you there. I'm Scott Wiley, and for Stephen and all of us here, I hope you have a great weekend. As I said, we'll conclude this two-part series Monday at this same time. Join us then, here on your BBN station. Thank you.